I see a lot of new faces this morning, and I'm glad you're here with us. Thanks for choosing to be here and worship with us this morning. Hopefully, you'll stick around afterward, give us a chance to get to know you better. We love getting to know new people, and we love having you as part of our family this morning. You are you're a friend, and we're glad you're here. Uh, we're in our second week, as Keith mentioned earlier, of our Faith at Home series, and we're talking about family, and my in-laws are here this morning, so anytime you talk about family and your in-laws are present, that's always a little bit of a dicey situation. But I don't think I have any stories that will embarrass them or anything, so we should be good. If you weren't here last week, one of the things that, it's, that I want you to know that it's important to remember is that these three weeks, last week, this week, and then next week, all tie together. Hopefully there's something in each one that can bless you and encourage you. But if you weren't here last week, I'd invite you to go online and listen to what I said last week. Not because I want you to listen to me again, but just because I think it will help you stay up to date and catch up a little bit with what we're doing. I'll give you a brief recap, though, from where we were last week. Last week, we talked about living a better story. Our lives individually, our life in our marriage, our life as a family tells a story to the world, and the story it tells us what's important to us. And hopefully, it's the story of Jesus, this story of life to the full that Jesus talks about in John 10. And we looked at that verse last week. We also looked at Deuteronomy 6, and we looked at Joshua. We looked at Ephesians. We looked at 2 Corinthians. And some of these verses that challenge us in how we're supposed to see family, how we're supposed to live this story out as a family in our homes, outside of this place, being imitators of God so that others can imitate us. And no matter where you are, no matter what your family looks like or what your situation is personally right now, whether everything's great, you feel good about what's going on in your life and in your family, or things aren't so great, you're struggling with something, or maybe something's happened and it's caused everything to change and you're having to re-envision what family looks like altogether. It doesn't matter where you are All of us can live a better story, that story of life to the full. We also talked about realizing what God wants for us more so than what God wants from us. Desiring the life that Jesus offers. We talked about being ambassadors, that our role as followers of Jesus, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And we are helping our children, we are helping others become ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And our homes, our apartment complexes, our cubicle, our locker, all those different places are embassies for the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus. And another thing we talked about was broadening our view and redefining the term family, which Jesus does himself when he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. And that's important because we're all in this together. Faith at home is about all of us. It's more than just mom, dad, and the kids, as we said last week. And this morning, our focus is going to be on passing faith on to the next generation. If we're going to see this happen, it really does take all of us. Let's think for a minute what all is at stake in this. First of all, the faith of the next generation is at stake. The present and the future of our church, not just Greenville Oaks, but the church globally, and especially here in America, the mission of the church is something that's at stake in this. Vitality in our marriages and in our families and even our own ability to share the good news of Jesus, the story we're telling, all of this is at stake. 
I'm not a big stats guy. Uh, there's some statistics that I really like, but for the most part, I believe that statistics say whatever you want them to say. But there are some things out there that I think we can learn from and we need to be aware of. Some of you in the parenting class this morning may have already heard a few of these. But I want to I share just briefly a couple of thoughts with you about where we are right now in our culture. 50 to 60% of children who grow up in church leave the church in their young adult years. Most never return. Now, I want to be careful in saying that doesn't mean all of them leave the faith. Some continue with some form of faith, but most of them never return to church, to a gathering of Christians, at least in the way we know it. If they do, they're not as active as before. And a lot of times we blame the church for that. We say, well, if the church would just change, then that would be better and we could engage them better. And I think there are some things we can learn from and some things we can do to engage young adults better, to engage our culture better. But it's not just the church, because I want you to think about this also. Only 10% of church-attending families have any type of faith conversation outside of church gatherings. 10% of Christian families talk about faith at all outside of the church building. The rest may talk about it while we're here, but then we get in our car and we go to lunch and we never talk about it again. And some of it's just an awareness thing. Some of it is we checked the box at church that morning and we're off and doing something else. But that should be a challenge to us, especially in light of that 50 to 60% we just mentioned. And that's important to remember when we compare this to the fact that the majority of those who choose to follow Christ do so at a young age, typically by the age of 13 or 14. Now, not everyone does that. I've known quite a few adults who've come to faith. But statistics show, again, that most people will learn it from the home. Most people will learn it from the church at an early age. Also, the fact that there's no difference in divorce rates between Christians and non-Christians. Our marriages within the church as followers of Jesus typically look the same as the marriages of those who don't follow Jesus. It's just an observation. A storyline that I hear over and over and over as I talk with people and as I feel this myself in my own life, is this feeling of being overwhelmed. Life is chaotic. Life is busy. There's so much going on. There's so much to do. And we feel overwhelmed. And so the idea of talking about faith at all, how do we even do that? We feel unprepared to do that. So when our kids ask us a question, we don't want to say the wrong thing, so we say nothing at all. Or we just don't know how to start the conversation, so we don't start it at all. Or we fear messing up, so nothing happens there. And often what's underneath all of this, what's driving us, where we seek our value and self-worth is from those around us. Reggie Joyner calls it stock family syndrome. You know the stock family, right? You see them every time you go to Walmart or to Hallmark or every commercial you watch that has a family. That's the stock family because it's a picture that they want you to see that is the picture of the perfect family. And in reality, one of my favorite commercials that's out right now is the one of, uh, I think it's a car commercial, where the family is all cute and looks good and then something happens and the kid says, you're not even my real dad. In reality, that's not, that may not even be a family, but they want you to believe that that is the picture of, of a good family. That's what family's supposed to be. 
And we know in our own reality that it doesn't always look like that. We have our Facebook selves. Or when things are great or we get to do something cool or our kids are all dressed up, we put a great picture out there on Facebook of our family or ourself or us doing something really cool and fun. And everyone else looks at it and says, wow, look at them. That's so great. And then we compare ourselves to what we see on Facebook when we know we do the very same thing. No one took the picture of the morning when the kid wouldn't get dressed for for school and you just had an argument and they won't wear their shoes. No one took a picture in that moment and put it on Facebook and said, look how great our family is. We don't do that. We want to put the best image of ourselves out there. We do this individually. We do this as families. We do this as a church too. We want to fit. We want to live up to the picture that we've created in our minds, which is usually our image of the perfect family. We want everyone to see that we have it all together. Let's see if you resonate with this video this morning. Hey, you just lay out their clothes because it takes me five minutes. Honey, perfect. Seriously. Jack. Well, we're already late for church. Hey, Brian. Get your stuff dressed. Did you pick up my stuff from the dry cleaners? Uh, Oh. I'm gonna make you waffles. Can I have a sandwich? Yes, but you gotta make it by yourself. Back. Okay. This is all I could find, and the zipper's broken. Alright, I'll go grab a safety pin. I got the high score! Hannah? What are you doing? Daddy, I'm painting your fingernails. Well, that's great, sweetie, but go get dressed. I need you to stay still. Okay, honey. Everybody needs to eat. Here you go. Here you go. Okay, here you go. I forgot my shoes. Honey, we gotta go back. I wanna take off my shoes. No 
nobody's taking off their shoes. And I want everybody to understand that we're... <gasps> what? We made it. Yep. Like, that happened to me this morning. Nobody has it all together. Not the person in front of you. Not the person standing in front of you. None of us are perfect. You know, we, we, wanna, we want people to think highly of our family, too. I remember one day, though, where that got changed a little bit. Um, Allison was gone. We, we, weren't, we hadn't been in Allen very long. And I was at home with Morgan, and she was in the front of the house doing some crafts. And I went, to the, I went to the back of the house for a minute, and I was doing something, and a couple minutes later, I hear a voice that I don't recognize saying, hello, is anyone home? And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, somebody's in my house. So I come out of the front, and I see this woman standing in our doorway, and Morgan is standing right next to her. And Morgan, her hair is disheveled. She's wearing a T-shirt. She's only two at this time. She's wearing a T-shirt that's stained and a diaper, and she's holding a pair of scissors. And the lady says, is this your little girl? Because we found her standing out in the street. Yeah, what do you even say to that? I debated. I finally told Allison that last week. And That, that's not true. I told, her, I told her a couple of days after that happened. You don't remember that, do you, Morgan? Thank goodness. She doesn't remember. I do. And we've learned from it. Nobody's perfect. We make mistakes. But there's this need inside of us at times to have our kids looked and act a certain way all the time. And that's more for us than it is for them. I think of another time, Madeline, our youngest, we started her in soccer at the age of four. And I'm not sure if that was a good idea or not, but she had a lot of energy and she needed an outlet. So we took her and put her in soccer. And a couple of seasons in, she's still four or five years old. Um, we're at one of those games. And of course, this is not real soccer. You have four girls out on the field at a time. They kick the ball into the goal. There's no goalie. So it's just back and forth craziness. But we were excited because they were playing a particular game, and, and she had done fairly well through the season, and, and we, wanted, we wanted everybody to see how good she had gotten. And so we got to the game that day, and she didn't want to play. And we kind of forced her out there, and about halfway through the first quarter, something happens, and she comes running off the field crying. And we're like, what's going on? What's wrong today? You know, and the coaches finally coax her you know, to get back out there, and we're making bargains we shouldn't make, and we get her out there on the field, and the day doesn't go as planned, and we get killed, and she doesn't score a goal, she doesn't even want to be out there, and then she finally, in the middle of the fourth quarter, um, when they sub, she comes off the field, and she runs straight to us, and she looks at us, and she says, Mommy, Daddy, my fingernail polish is still on, and we think, yes. She's four or five years old. Of course, that was all about us. It had nothing to do with her. In Collin County, where we live, we live in one of the competition capitals of the world. 
And when we are so consumed with measuring ourselves and our families by others we see and hear, it prevents us not only from living the abundant life Jesus calls us to, but it prevents us from even seeing it at all. So what do we do about this? What are we going to do? With three things I want you to remember this morning. First, it's about becoming and making disciples. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's the command there. Jesus doesn't give a lot of commands in his teaching, but this is one he gives. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the mission Jesus gave us. Right up here on our wall, we have the mission statement of the Greenville Oaks Church. Seek all who need Jesus, which is all. Everyone here, everyone out there, all of us. Seek all who need Jesus and together become his fully devoted followers. It is rooted in this verse, in the idea that we want to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And we want to help make disciples of Jesus Christ. Making disciples is about being like the one you follow. Walter Brueggemann is an author and a a minister, and he tells, uh, he he wrote a book talking about um, evangelism and the story that we need to be sharing and who we need to be sharing it with. And he identifies three groups. The first group he identifies are those who, who don't know the story of Jesus at all. We need to be sharing the story with them. And then there are those who at one time had heard the story but had forgotten it or had turned their back on the story. And we need to be sharing the story of Jesus and the good news of Jesus with them. And it may look a little different in that way. But there's a third group that he he says we need to constantly, continually, over time, be sharing that story with. And that's our children. That's the youth who are already in our community of faith, the youth of our church. And we do this through intentional practices. Think about learning to ride a bike. How did you learn to ride a bike? You didn't just get on a bike one day and start pedaling and it all worked. Or think about learning to swim. If we want our kids to learn to swim, we don't take them and throw them in the pool and say, swim. There's a process for it. And even though each person is different, the process is always the same. We've been learning to ride bikes at our house over the last couple of years. Morgan is the oldest, and one day she saw a friend who was riding without the training wheels. And she said, Daddy, I want to ride without the training wheels. So we started the process of taking the training wheels off. And we took her, we lived near Celebration Park, huge open park, plenty of places to ride a bike, to play. So we picked a grassy area because it was softer. that had a little bit of a hill. And we started by, uh, I would go out there with her, and once we got the training wheels off, I would kind of walk alongside her for a little while and give her a chance to pedal and get used to it. And then as she got more confident, I would give her the push and let her go off a little bit further on her own. And we keep doing that over and over. And if we needed to, we would go back to earlier steps where I would hold on. And if you need to, you can even go back to training wheels for a little while just to get used to that again. It's okay. You can go back to other steps. But we kept doing this over and over and over. And one day she finally took off. And I remember standing there with Madeline right next to me and watching her go all the way down. She had moved from the grass to the concrete now and go all the way across this sidewalk at Celebration Park. And the joy 
that we felt and the excitement that we shared in that moment. And at the same time, as she continues to learn to ride her bike, at times she falls, right? And I didn't run to her and tell her how horrible a bike rider she was. No, I go and pick her up and I check on her and I let her know I care for her and I encourage her and I correct her if I need to. And then we do it again. And then Madeline watched her sister learn to ride a bike and she says at an even younger age, I wanna learn. I wanna take the training wheels off. So we take the training wheels off of her bike and we do the same things, although it's been different with her, but it's the same process. Think about this. If our children display ability in music, what do we do? We go and we spend a lot of money on an instrument. And then we get them a teacher to teach them how to play that instrument. And we tell them to practice at home. We set aside practice time at home. And we get them involved in band and other things so that they learn that skill of playing music or singing or whatever it is. They learn. We don't just take them to a concert and say, hey, you're a musician now. No, we spend lots of time and money and effort to help them become the best musician they can be. Or if they show athletic ability, what do we do? We get out in the yard and we play catch with them. We kick the soccer ball around. We get them on a team with a coach that shows them how to play. And and we find individual coaches that help them learn specific skills for their position. And we do that at even a younger age now. And we spend lots of time and money and effort teaching them how to play these sports, hoping that one day maybe they'll get a scholarship to college. Or in academics, we take our kids to school, but then they come home with homework, and a lot of us sit down and talk with them about their homework. And we go through spelling lists, and we help them with projects. And if things aren't going well at school, we'll take them early so they can get extra help, or we'll pick them up late, or we'll get a tutor that can help them do better in math or do better in science or whatever it is. And we'll put this time and this energy and invest a lot into their academic ability, again, so that they can get a scholarship, so they can go to college, so they can one day have a good job. And we do all of this. Shouldn't it be the same with the most important thing? And that's our faith in Jesus Christ. There's a reason that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. As we make disciples, we also need to become disciples. And as we grow, we become more intentional in the things that we do and the things that we say and the way that we live. And others around us grow, especially our kids, especially younger people watching us. And I want to reiterate, while it's not the only location, the primary location for becoming and making disciples is in the home. Yes, It starts at home. There was a study done by the Willow Creek Church a few years ago of several thousand people. It's called the Reveal Study. And they identified two practices of people who were growing in their faith. And they're simple, simple practices. One, reading the Bible. Not even doing deep Bible study. You don't have to know Greek, the original language. None of that. Just reading Scripture encourages us to grow individually and as families. And the other one, serving. Serving others. Those two things. And then the Barna Group did a study and and would add prayer to that. Prayer in the home outside of mealtimes. Mealtimes are good, but adding prayer in the home at one other time. 
as well. Three simple things. Reading the Bible, serving other people, praying together. So if it's about becoming and making disciples, it's also about relationships. For the last few weeks, we've talked as a church about our vision for Greenville Oaks, and a big part of that is intentionally cultivating deeper, meaningful relationships. We say love God, love people, serve others. Our relationship with God is primary. And it's not just us loving God, but it's receiving God's love for us, believing and knowing that he loves us. It's also our relationships with people. We'll spend time connecting with others over lunch or dinner, or we've encouraged everyone to be a part of a connecting point group. And if you're new or if you're not plugged into something like that yet, uh, come find me this morning. There's information in the, in the back foyer. We want to get you plugged into a group that, where you can share life and that will help you grow in this idea of becoming a disciple of Jesus. We reach out to our neighbors and friends, and we serve other people together. But we must also take this intentionality in the relationships that are closest to us. That's in our marriages and with our kids and our grandkids or with our parents, with our brothers and sisters. Last week, I gave you a definition, a goal for marital success and parenting success. Marital success. Every marriage is intended to be a picture of the marriage between God and his people as we selflessly give ourselves to another through mutual submission and loving intimacy. Is that your picture for your marriage? Is that your vision for your marriage if you are married? And if you're not married, is that your vision for the marriage you long to have if that's a desire for you in life? Parenting success. Those blessed with the gift of children and grandchildren are called to inspire and nurture Christian faith and godly character in the next generation. And this doesn't stop when they leave home. Is that your vision for your children? Is that your vision for your grandkids? And I understand that it's an ideal, and it seems a long way off for some of us when we look at the reality of the life that we're living right now. But all we have to do is take some of those simple steps to start working toward that and trust that God's grace is going to make up the difference. Trust that God's grace is there for us. Are we being intentional in these family relationships? And then the last thing, it's about the church and home being on the same mission. In the book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, Reggie Joyner and Carrie Newhoff give a visual image they call the orange factor. And the way they describe it is the goal and the ideal is that the color red represents the unconditional love of a family. And over here, the color yellow represents the light from a community of faith that's being shined into the lives of young people and of families. And when you bring those two together, it forms the color orange, and it creates something that is transformational. Listen to this quote. There are two powerful influences on the planet, the church, and the home. They both exist because God initiated them. They both exist because God desires to use them to demonstrate his plan of redemption and restoration. If they work together, they can potentially make a greater impact than if they work alone. They need each other. Too much is at stake for either one to fail. Their primary task is to build God's kingdom in the hearts of men and women, sons, and daughters. 
Both the family and the church are systems comprised of imperfect people, we know that, but designed by God to tell his story to the world. Our mission is the same, to become and make disciples who look like Jesus. And it takes all of us. There are things that are happening right now at Greenville Oaks and right now in our community. There are people in this church whose kids are gone and out of the house, but they still make time to teach children in our children's classes because they love them and they think it's important. Or I know of couples who keep babies and toddlers for a young couple, especially young couples whose families live far away, and they become surrogate grandparents, local grandparents for these families just so that those parents can have a date night, and they've created relationship there. There's a great thing that started about a year ago with some women in our church who saw a need for families with special needs children, and it's called Friday Night Lights, and their desire is to encourage and to help those families and to reach out to families in our community, to single parents, to parents who have special needs children who don't fit the stock family image that we talked about before, and it's a way that our church can help and serve. It's a way that our family's going to serve. And they're doing a great thing through that. As a youth minister, I'm always thankful for volunteers uh, of any age. We have parents that volunteer, but we also have parents of younger children who volunteer. And we have singles who volunteer. And we have parents and grandparents whose kids are out of the home who volunteer and serve as small group leaders, as Bible class teachers, who just show up and are present and are godly examples in the lives of our middle school and high school students. We have a mom-to-mom program that's kind of taken off here where moms whose kids are a little bit further along are mentoring younger, newer moms who are just starting to figure this, this mom thing out. And it's relationships and it's ways that the church and the home combine to work together. It does start at home. And remember, each family is unique. What works for one family doesn't necessarily work for yours. A lot of times, again, we have this picture of a family sitting around a living room and everyone has smiles on their face and they're doing a Bible study. I didn't grow up doing that. That didn't necessarily work for my family. If it works for your family, that's great. Keep doing it. Keep trying. I talked to a, a dad this morning after first service who came up to me and said, uh, question competition night. We would just, our family loved competition, so we would write down questions, Bible questions, and we would just fire them off back at each other and see who would win. It's creative. It's something that worked for their family. One of the things our family does is we do, we do reading every night with our girls, even if it's just five or ten minutes. We have tons of books, and we have Berenstain Bears and you name it. I mean, every possible imaginable book, I think we have it. Clifford, Go Dog Go, we've read it all. And not too long ago, we just realized, you know what? We could throw in some Bible stories here too and read the Bible. And it looks different for both of our kids because Morgan is usually great with it. And Madeline, when she sees me pick, it, pick up the children's Bible, she's like, do we have to? She's only five years old. You know what? We're going to be creative and we're going to keep doing it and we're going to keep trying it and we're going to keep working with it. But it's something we're trying. It's something we're doing. Reading before bedtime, just praying before bedtime or praying a quick prayer before you walk out of the door or before you send your kids off to school that morning. Memorizing a Bible verse. Especially maybe while you're traveling in the car, you can have 
Whoever's not driving can read the Bible verse and everyone else can listen. Here's an idea for you. I picked this up this morning. Marty and Haley and our children's ministry have been putting out these sheets each week, family, family Connect sheets. And they have some activities and different things on there that you can do. And on the back, there's a note from, uh, that Marty and Haley have put together. There's a verse of the month. I didn't even know there was a verse of the month until today. But that's something you can take home and do with your family. If you have younger kids, if you have older kids, you can do this as a married couple. Memorize, memorize verses. Challenge each other. This is something I want to encourage you. If you didn't pick one of these up from your kid's Bible class this morning, walk by the rooms. There should be extras there. If not, you can have my copy. It's right here. But, but just try something. Just try it. Eating meals together, I am amazed at everywhere I turn, there is new research coming out about the importance of sitting down as a family and eating a meal together. And it's not just, there are spiritual, uh, there, are, there are faith formative surveys that have been done. There have been academic surveys that have been done. There have been surveys about extracurricular activities, surveys about all kinds of things. And so many things come back to a time where the family sits down at a table. And if you can't cook, that's okay. Just get, bring something in and sit down for 15 or 20 minutes and share that meal together. It doesn't always go perfectly. But I want to encourage you this morning, keep trying. You can do it in your marriages, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your brothers and sisters. If you're single, do this with a group of friends. Or better yet, invite a family with children over. There's no law that says you can't can't be friends with people whose family structure is different than you. That's for all of us. And together, that's how we become a family that's larger than just that family together. And we work together, the church and the home, to create something more powerful. Here's the thing that I want to leave you with this morning. Besides encouraging you that you can do it, I want you to know that our role as a church and I believe this comes from, and I know this comes from Scripture, is to equip you, is to help prepare you. We can't do it for you, but we can support you and we can be there with you. That's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to share more about the Faith at Home initiative and some more specific things that are going to be taking place as a part of this. But I want you to know this church loves you and thinks you're important and thinks your family is important. And we want to do everything we can to help you seek God's ideal for your marriage, for your children, for your grandchildren, whether you're there yet or not, and trust in God's grace to move us there. So I hope you'll come back next week and join us. And ask Greg Kaufman, one of our shepherds, to come and close us in prayer this morning.